Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good evening, church. Thank you for being here. To those of you who don't know me, quick introduction. My name is Zach Webb. I've been a part of this church since I was a little kid. You probably more than likely know me as Pastor Jess's husband, <laughs> which is my favorite role, and this is my wife, Pastor Jess, which is true, how everyone knows me, and I love it. We are excited tonight. We're going to be kicking off our new series, The Naked Truth, yeah. Woohoo! which is about sex. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about sex, sexuality, identity, temptation. This is an important topic that we probably all have a story with, whether that story is abstinence or indulgence or seasons of the two. We all have a story, and as a part, it often forms a part of our identity. It often really does. And, as a, and because of that, we're really excited to get to talk about it today. It's a wonderful thing. But before we jump into it, two quick disclosures. One, we're talking about sex. This is PG-16. So if, there's any, if you have any younger kids in the room, probably not the best service for them. I apologize. Um, and to all of our new visitors, I'm sorry if you're getting comfortable. Um, but the second disclosure is but also... Welcome. <laughs> but welcome. <laughs> Our second disclosure is also very important, and that is shame is from the devil. Um, this topic can so easily bring shame and condemnation, and that is not what it is meant to do. God today wants to bring grace, wants to bring hope, wants to bring life. The devil wants to bring shame and condemnation. The best thing I can do is warn you up front. If that starts to creep in, if shame starts to come, that is not what we're doing today. And that is not what God has in store for you, okay? Okay, it's going to be a fun service. <laughs> Quickly talk a little bit about Jess and my story. We both grew up, like everyone had to, um, in high schools. And therefore, sex is a thing we had to figure out and deal with. Um, and temptation, and purity, and pursuing purity. Jess had to go through high school and get in good accountable relationships about lustful thoughts and really take control of her mind. I had to get into accountable relationships about my eyes and struggling with pornography and various things. And as a result, we both have learned and had to learn, like we all should, how to walk and strive for purity. And that's the point of what we want to talk about today. And as a blessing out of that... We both got married as virgins. Not only that, woohoo, we were each other's first kiss. Um, and God has really blessed us in this because of that. And it's been wonderful because of it. But let's open in prayer. Father God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time that we have to discuss you and the wonderful gift you've given us of sex. Thank you, Dad, for everyone who's here. I pray that, I pray against any condemnation. I pray against any shame. We pray that you use tonight to just bless people and bring grace. In your holy name, amen. Amen. So tonight we're talking about pursuing purity. And is this an outdated idea? Is it irrelevant? Or is it something that still matters today? And the word purity has a lot of connotations in the Christian and the church community. We all have thoughts about this. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that, right? What are your thoughts when I say the word purity? It may be that you feel guilty and you instantly just feel that like sinking feeling. It could be that you're just like, oh my gosh, this is not even important anymore, right? The world has moved on. Nobody needs to care about abstinence anymore. That's an outdated topic. 
It could be that it's not that purity is like a bad thing in your mind or whatever. It's a good thing. It's just sort of an ideal, you know. I've already messed up in this. It's not that I disagree, but I mean, it's not really for me, you know. It's, it's an innocent ideal that hopefully somebody else, good luck to you, God bless, but for me, not really a thing. For some of you, it may just be like abstinence, just like abstinence of everything. Like we don't talk about sex, we don't acknowledge sex, we don't, we don't want sex ever, we just, it's no, no, no. For some of you, maybe it's just baby food. Maybe that's all that you think of when I say purity. I know Josephine, that's where your mind was. <laughs> because the thing is, all of these are not a correct response to the word purity including the baby food. Um, our scripture tonight is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 to 8. So let's read it together. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Mm. It, it ends quite strongly, that scripture. But the context of the scripture is actually quite interesting, because the, this book was written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica, and he, when he went into Thessalonica for the first time, he was preaching the gospel. People were responding. People got saved. And so a church plant formed. But because of the persecution that he faced, Paul had to leave the city really quickly. And so he writes this letter basically just, I was really worried. I wasn't sure how you guys were doing because I had to flee the city really quickly. And so he sends Timothy to go and check up on them and come back with a report. And the report that Timothy came back with was, they're doing so great. They're so strong in the faith. They're excited. They're building their faith. They're studying the scriptures to learn about Jesus. And that's the first three chapters of the book of Thessalonians. It's Paul writing to summarize that and to encourage them, like, I'm so glad you guys are doing well. But let me give you some encouragements as you continue. The first of which is this that you would be sanctified by avoiding sexual immorality. So this is not an instruction or a message for the weak in faith or for the new believer. This is something that Paul was saying to the mature in faith and to those who were doing well. Because it's not about you're, like you're a newbie and so maybe you need to learn about purity. No, every single one of us, no matter how mature in our relationship with God is, is needs to pursue purity and walk in purity. This is relevant for you no matter how new or old you are in your Christian walk. And the thing is that sex is really powerful, right? It's a really powerful part of life. It's something that, like Zach mentioned, can become a part of our identity and how we see ourselves. It's something that we're all made for, that we all want, you know? It's something that can easily entangle us, like a Jada Pinkett Smith. It's <laughs> sex is something that um, it, it affects us in a way that other things don't. And so we need to be really vigilant when it comes to the area of sex and sexual desires and our bodies. So let's take a bit of a deeper look at this scripture and what Paul was saying. First thing, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. 
What does this mean? Sanctification, when you look at the original term, the word and where the derivative word, it means to be made, set apart for the use intended by its designer. So it's like restoring to its original design. That's what that word means. And so this process of sanctification is about us being restored to our original design that God had for us, which was to be holy like he is holy, to be free of sin, right? And one with God, because sin is that which separates us from God. And this is the gospel message, that we can't live out holiness on our own, so Jesus came and died for us, giving us the power to say no to unrighteousness. And so when we're talking about um, sexual purity and that pursuit, it is by the power of Jesus in us that we walk up this journey, but it is still something we walk out. It's not just like I'm forgiven and so I move on, right? There's still a standard of purity that we pursue. So sexual immorality, this is our definition of sexual immorality, engaging in any activity involving your sexual organs without your spouse, who you're covenanted to. Whether that's just you, or you and 10 other people, or you and one other person, right? Any activity that's not with your spouse that involves your sexual organs is sexual immorality. Where did I get this definition from? The standard that is laid out in the Bible is not obscure. It's not like you really have to go and study the scriptures to see it, okay? It is repeated over and over again. Matthew 19, this is Jesus talking. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So this is the standard. One man, one woman, living together, satisfying each other's sexual needs. That's the standard. Anything other than that is sexual immorality. Mm. Okay. Let's go back to the Paul's scripture in 1 Thessalonians. The second thing he says is that, that each of you should learn to control your own body. The truth is that the responsibility for this is on you. It is not on anybody else. It's not because the world has put so much around you that, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't. No, this, the, you are responsible to learn to control your own body. And we're not animals, okay? We're not like overtaken by some urge that we can't control. You have willpower and you have to learn self-control. And this is true for every part of your Christian walk, right? That you have to learn to control yourself. And the truth is that self-control is essential for a healthy relationship because you have to learn to control your tongue. You have to learn to control your anger. You have to learn to control your responses and your thoughts. And you have to learn to control your body. So this is just part of what we do as believers. To have healthy relationships is that you have to control yourself. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Now, of course, that definitely means that you should not force yourself on somebody that does not want to be with you, whether they are your spouse or not. But I want to put forward that it also means that you should not use a position of religiousness to tell somebody that it's okay to engage in sexual activities because you are together. Because that is taking advantage of a brother or a sister. We're engaged. We're going to get married anyway, you know. This is just part of God's plan for us. No, you've seen God's standard, that when you get married, that's when it's okay. And anything other than that, and using a position of religious talk, is taking advantage of a brother or a sister. 
Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Purity is not about people in the church thinking well of you and going, well done, you're living such a good life. That's not what it's about. It is an expression of your righteousness unto the Lord. And we have to acknowledge that this as a sin, just like any other sin, but this one because it's a sin against ourselves as well, this sin separates us from God. And it is part of our pursuit of His righteousness that we are pursuing sexual purity. That He who has called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do, right? That God has called us not just to continuously be like repenting for things that we mess up. And yes, we need to continuously repent, but we need to do that in pursuit of his standard, which is to be holy as he is holy. Amen. Amen. Just as Jess mentioned, you know, this is a part of our walk with Christ. She emphasized on our relationship with God. And just in our relationship, we practice and we pursue, you know, forgiveness, repentance, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We pursue uh, the the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the other one. And also in that, we pursue purity. This is a part of our walk. So we're going to take a bit of a step back, and we're going to start to address and talk about some truths that we strive to live by and some lies that compromise those truths. When Jess and I were putting this list together, there were many more we wish we could have put in, um, but for sake of time, we're going to stick to a few. And we're going to really try and emphasize some things that we're hearing currently some uh, new age ideas that are coming up and hoping this can start some engagement as we go. First truth we wanna talk about is that we strive for purity. It sounds a bit obvious, but yes, we want to strive for purity. A lot of ordinary dictionaries, Oxford, Webster dictionaries will describe purity as to be not mixed with anything else. Think of a jar of water that is pure, it's clean, it's clear, you can see right through it. If you take a handful of dirt and throw it in the water, all of a sudden it becomes unpure. And what part becomes unpure? The bottom where it's touching the dirt or the whole thing? The whole thing is a mess. <laughs> um, and that's what we strive for. What does striving look like? Pursuing, fighting for. It's not necessarily a quick decision. I'm gonna be pure from now on, this is great. <laughs> we did it. Um, <laughs> We strive for this. This is something that we want to run towards, a goal that we're aiming for, often a thing we run away from as well. Um, it's a very good thing, practice to have. And this is a truth we're going to strive to live by. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And that's a truth we want to strive for. Yeah, so the second truth is that purity is not a before-you-get-married journey. Okay, it's, and I think we think this a lot, that like you have to be pure, be pure, until you get married, and then like, woo, you're done. But that's not true. <laughs> Purity, as an expression of your righteousness, is something that you do throughout your whole life. So before we got married, when we were single and not with each other, then there was a certain way that we pursued that purity. When we were together, it was very hard. But we also had to pursue that purity, okay? Being engaged, woo. But we made it. And then now, in this phase of life that we're in now, we pursue purity by watching what we look at, you know, not looking at other people, not thinking about other people, who we're emotionally connected to. I can't have an emotional relationship with someone that's not Zach to that level, right? Because that would be breaking my covenant with him. It would be impure in my relationship. So we pursue purity throughout our whole lives. It's, there's no time at which you're free from this. And I know that in terms of like the church leadership group, 
There are men's groups and women's groups that are talking exactly about this. Where are you at with like your purity and your sexual relationships, making sure that we don't fall into sin and temptation because we always have to be vigilant in this area. It's not the things that go into you that defile you, but that come out of you, right? Evil thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality. And so that's what we have to, that's what we have to watch out for. Amen. Third truth we want to address is that sex is a gift from God. And this is true. Sex is not a trap. Sex is not a dirty thing that the devil uses to get his hooks in us and that you know, we need to avoid. This is a gift from God. It's good. It is a blessing. It builds intimacy. When he put man and woman to be married and designed what we call the three-braided cord, sex was an important part of that. And this is something that he's really decided to choose to bless us with. As with any gift we receive, there's a certain responsibility that comes along with it. I have a gift here I received when I was 14. It's called the Bay Psalm Book. Um, looks like a Bible, not a Bible. Um, gift from my parents, they gave it to me. It was written by my 11th great-grandfather named Richard Mather. Um, this is, he wrote this. It was the first book ever to be printed in the United States. And what it is, is it's a, trans, it's a translation of the book of Psalms into English verse, so that people could sing psalms. And it's a beautiful book, and it's a part of my heritage. It's why my parents gave it to me. Something I can respect. I can put up on a bookshelf, and I can enjoy. I can pull it out, be edified by it at times. But something for me to respect. What would they think if I opened it up? And this might be a silly illustration. But the next day after they gave it to me as a 14-year-old boy, I start making paper planes out of it. <laughs> now, I haven't made one of these in a long time, but I'm going to throw it. <laughs> Yes, and it died. <laughs> it's, it's a good, yeah, thank you. <laughs> what would my parents think about this? What sort of an analogy of the gift they gave me is this? <laughs> you know, it shows my heart, but also as my parents, they look and they say, well, that's not what we gave it to you for. <laughs> you know, it's ruined. You've messed it up. Um, you're using it because all I wanted to do was use it for my instant and momentary gratification instead of how it was designed to be used. I also lose all the edification I was going to get from it, because within a day it's in the bin, and it's gone. This is a gift we've been given. It's something so good, so fruitful, but we can mess it up just like we can any other gift. So the last thing when it comes to the truths is that purity is a continual practice of discipline, repentance, and trusting God, right? We have to continue doing this. Disciplines in that we say no to stuff, we walk away from things, we flee situations that are full of temptation. Repentance in that I can promise you now, there is not a single person in this room that has lived up to God's standard of purity. None of us have. And that's okay, because when we repent, Jesus cleanses us from our unrighteousness and enables us and empowers us to live righteously, right? And so we trust in God in this area, not because of our efforts, but because of his goodness to us. So we have to continue repenting for where we met this up, where we have sick, sinful thoughts about other people, where we lust, where we have sex with somebody that's not our spouse, where we take advantage of somebody. We have to repent. And the trusting God element is really important because I do think that for a lot of us that have struggled in this area, it's because we're not really trusting God that he will bring that kind of relationship to us, that we can be so satisfied and so safe and so free in a marriage context and so we're kind of just trying to get it our own way and have short-term satisfaction because we don't really believe that that's the right way and that God will actually be that good to us in that way. 
So we need to trust God. There is also an element that we have to trust God if we have been hurt in this area, if we have been abused, if we have had people mistreat us. There has to be an element of am I living by my own pain or am I living by God's desires for me and trusting that he can still be good to me in this area. And I've seen in my own family people who have been abused, determining to do things their own way because that hurt was too much, right? They can't go back to God with that. And if that's you today, we want to pray and trust that God can bring life and bring healing so that you're not living under hurt. You're not living under something that the devil tried to use to kill and destroy, but that you can live under the freedom that God has for you. Amen. So we're going to talk a bit about the lies that can come in to compromise that truth. And like Zach said, there's a lot. This is really the PG-16 part, okay? So just be ready. The first is the very obvious one. Is sex so bad? Like, come on. Is it really such a bad thing? And truthfully, you know, sex is such a powerful, vulnerable, beautiful thing. It's meant to be so amazing and life-giving. And it is that space is meant to be um, is safest in a, the relationship that can handle that level of intimacy and vulnerability, right? But this scripture puts it so well. And so we're going to read the scripture, which is from the message paraphrase. A paraphrase means that it wasn't translated directly from Hebrew or Greek to English, but it was translated sort of with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as to what this could be saying. So it says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master... We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. This is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. It's such a good scripture because it points out that the truth is that how we relate in our human relationships is meant to teach us how to relate to God. And if we are using our human relationships for just short-term gratification, wow, satisfaction and gratification, tomorrow's Monday, um, if we're using our human relationships for that short-term satisfaction, then we're going to relate to God in the same way which is trying to take out the, the, the blessings, the good things that he gives us without any of the commitment of the relationship or any of the surrender. It's, this is not a perfect analogy, but it's almost like if you were going to employ somebody to do some work for you and you're like, great, but before we do the contract, can you actually do this half of the work for free, right? It's treating that person on the basis of a contract, but without the contract, which is abusing that person. Do you see what I mean? And so it's like we're taking the covenant and the thing that is meant to be so powerful, taking something out of it, and so we're not actually honoring those people. And I asked Mersha, I don't know if Mersha's here tonight, but we were talking about this topic in the prep weeks preparing for the sermon. And I was saying to her, so what if, um, you know, there's two people that have been together, they're engaged, they've been sleeping together, living together, cool, 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 full pregnant, get married like this because, you know, nope, they don't want there to be any shame or whatever. 
does the fact that they were living together beforehand make a difference? Has it impacted them if they get married? And she was like, she said to me, absolutely, because you've communicated to that person that they can't trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and honor them the way that they should be honored. And you're starting off that relationship with that brokenness in it. Now, if that's you, that's not to say that, oh, shame, it's over for you. Absolutely not, right? This is why it's a continual walk of repentance and trusting in God. Because at any point that we repent and bring it to God, he purifies us, he redeems us, he washes us clean as snow. And he says to us, like, this is the goodness I have for you. And purity is restored to us. Thank Jesus for that. That it's not about where we mess up, but about how good he is to restore that place to us. But this is the thing, is that we have to acknowledge and accept that God's standard is the right standard. That yes, if God said that that's not good for us, it's not good for us. In, sorry, I'm going on. In the, um, it, it links back for me to the original sin, where Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had made them naked, and it was all good. There was no shame. But as soon as they ate of the fruit of that tree and decided for themselves what is good and what is evil, they looked at what God had made and said, this is a shameful thing. And they invited shame into what God had created. And this is what we do when we decide, I want sex now because that's what's good for me. We invite shame and brokenness into our relationships and into our souls, and it separates us from God. And so it comes back to that thing. Have you surrendered to God? Because then all of your life, everything you do must be by that standard. Shame is from the devil. (laughs) Um, Second lie we want to address is, quick one to address, but it's one that's come up with frequent, a sad frequency, is that it's not sex if there's no penetration. We're talking physically. Um, I've had an astonishing amount of coffees and meals, catch-ups with friends, when I ask them about how are they doing in their walk with purity, they're like, I'm doing great, fine, you know, haven't had sex yet, still a virgin. Last week, a girl gave me a blowjob, but we didn't have sex, so we're great. <laughs> this is a lie. Yeah. I felt the tension, yes. <laughs> this goes with all the other things, sex, hand jobs, fingering, whatever it is, people, this is still sex. There we go, now you can breathe. I lost the lost service at that moment uh, earlier. (laughs) Look at the standard, Ephesians 5 verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are imposters for God's holy people. We all know God's standard. God's standard is that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. That's his standard. (laughs) We've all fallen short, which is, you know, yes. But any lie that begins to remove our responsibility to control our body or begin to remove us from God's truth is a lie. And the world will tell it to us, but we have to fight it. It's an easy one. (laughs) Amen. Amen. The next one is also one that I think a lot of us have felt. You have to have a certain level of sexual experience to have a good marriage or to satisfy your partner. I certainly felt this pressure myself. And... Jesus helped me, amen, (laughs) to make it. But this is, guys, the opposite of this is true. The opposite of this is true, 100%. This is such a blatant lie, so blatant. I was actually watching a documentary that was talking about sex, and it said that the people that have the most orgasms are the people who have learned to listen to their partner. 
the opposite of comparing that person to other people that you've slept with. It has nothing to do with other people. And feeling compared to in your relationship is never going to result in a good time. Right? It is not about sexual experience. It is all about just being willing to learn the person that you're with when you are married to them. When you are married to them. But just, that's, that, this is just such a lie. It has no truth at all. Amen. Uh, next lie is a lie that has come out in many ways, but it's a lie that you should have sex frequently to maintain your sexual health and to express your sexual rights. Before we get into some matters where we've seen this pop up, what does this look to do? This looks to remove sex from marriage, one, and it looks to remove your responsibility to control your body. Both of those are not biblical. Any lie that feeds into this is a lie then. And this is where we need to trust God's plan and what he has. We have a friend who's told us stories of growing up. Whenever he would get sick, people in his family, his uncles, even the family doctor would tell him, it's because you're not having a release often enough, and therefore you're getting sick. And you're not a man because of it. <laughs> Thank you. What a lie. That's what causes the flu, it turns out. Man, that's a lie. You'll be fine. Your body will reabsorb. It's okay. <laughs> um, but these lies that seek to counter what God is doing are lies. <laughs> Zealous is having a fun time. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Amen. We warned you guys. We warned you. Okay. The, uh, and for women, a lot of the way that I've heard this being spoken about is in feminism, right? That there's this thing that men cannot satisfy women sexually, like shame. They just can't find anything, which is not true. Can I just tell you? But there, that, that feminist ideal is like, you don't need a man. You can do it yourself. You can have orgasms whenever you want to, right? This is available to you. You should be empowered as a woman to do it yourself. Also a lie, okay? Because your empowerment, right? There's this weird thing where like sin, and the more we learn about sin, the more we see how all of it is to empower you, that you can choose, but it's all to trap you. It's all to trap you. And... The truth is that when you take, when you start just satisfying yourself, you absolutely rob that from anybody else. And if you are going to get married, that person will never be able to satisfy you. And so you remove that from your marriage completely, and there's just a hole in your relationship because that's where sex is supposed to be and satisfaction is supposed to be. And so going down that route of masturbation, that's what it results in, is that there is nobody else then that can satisfy you. Shame is from the devil. Just keep talking. Shame, Shame is, is from, from the devil. <laughs> Peer pressure. Um, the fear of missing out. Not always a lie that's verbally told to us, but when we feel, you know, I'm missing out. A sort of sense, I'm going to look back one day and regret not getting sexually involved, which clearly a lie when we say it out loud, but it's one we feel, not necessarily told to us. But the opposite is true. Proverbs 6 verse 32 but a man who commits adultery has no sense whatsoever, whatever he does, <laughs> whoever does so destroys himself. Proverbs 7 describes getting into uh, sexual immorality before being married as an ox to the slaughter, as a highway to hell, as walking down the, to the chambers of hell. Um, you know, it's the opposite of I'm going to regret this. No, no, no. Truth is you're going to be blessed because of it. You'll be thankful. <laughs> your wife will be thankful. Your husband will be thankful. You'll be thankful your whole life. There's the, any lie that tells you I'm missing out is not from God. 
How do I pursue purity? Sorry, my bad, I forgot. <laughs> now we've got through some of the lies. Um, simple aspects that we use to pursue purity. We've probably mentioned them all already. First one, avoid temptation. Easier said than done, especially in the modern world we are. But we are called to flee from temptation. Flee. Sometimes just run away. That's the best thing you can do, is just run. I remember being a young man, teenager, still in my parents' house, um, when I'd be watching TV and something would tempt me, having to physically learn to be like, great, turning this off, I'm going to go find someone to talk to and get out of this space, because I'm going to flee away from this. Sometimes actually run away. It's a good place thing to do. Go for a run. It'll work it out. There we go. Um, avoid temptation. 1 Timothy 6, but you, men of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good faith, the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Second, the second uh, tip to pursuing purity is get an accountability. Get in friends, get into community where people ask you questions. How are you doing with your purity? You know, how are you doing with that sin we've discussed last time? You know, it's really, I would say, the only way to actively fight temptation and to pursue purity is to get into community where people around you are constantly keeping you in check. Not in a shameful way, but in a, we all want to do better. Let's, I mean, let's continue to encourage and edify each other in this way. Yeah. And if you're in accountability, but you're not really talking about this area of life because there is shame there, then just... I, I encourage you to be aware that the devil is using that to hold it against you and to try and put something between you and God. And this scripture is so true that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You can access that empowerment to purity at any time, right? God is so good and so faithful. He does not see us in any disgraceful, shameful way at all. He loves us and wants the best for us. And that's why he designed things the way he did. The last thing is that if you're married, make sure you're serving your spouse sexually. Okay? The Bible is really clear in this instruction that once you get married, your body is not your own anymore. You have to serve your partner. Right? And that doesn't mean you abuse your partner. But what it means is that this should be your desire, is that you are learning how to satisfy your partner so that there is no room for them to be worrying about that and looking for temptation somewhere else. Right? This is part of your pursuit of purity if you are married, is making sure that you are serving your spouse. So we're going to close in prayer now. And we really just, we want this to be, yes, it's a very difficult and comfortable topic we all have a space that we've thought about this, engaged with it, whatever our experience is. But this is something that God wants to bring freedom to in our lives. It shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of. It shouldn't be something that we're afraid of talking about. It shouldn't be something that we're worried we're going to mess up and or give somebody the wrong impression, right? It's a, it should be filled with the freedom and the joy of God and that space that He really wants to bless us in this area. So let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you that you are so good to us. You are so good that you didn't just create us to like have sex to make babies, but that you made it such a beautiful, precious, intimate, vulnerable thing, Lord God. You made it something that brings two people together, that empowers us to be intimate with somebody and learn how to be intimate with them 
in a manner in which we can be intimate with you, Lord God. And that sex is really supposed to be a beautiful thing that we celebrate and not something that brings shame. And so, Father, if we, if we have parts in our heart that we have rejected your standard, Lord God, that we have chosen to determine things for ourselves and not actually trusting in you in this area, if we have been hurt by other people and so we've become hardened in this area, Lord God, we want to repent, Lord. We want to repent. Jesus, we're sorry for doing things our own way. We're sorry for not trusting in you. We're sorry for not even believing that this is something you care about. But Father, whether married or single or widowed, we want to pursue purity, Lord God. We want to do things that are unto your standard of holiness so that there is nothing separating us from God. We want to be close to you. This is about our relationship with you and our hearts being close to you. So Jesus, we, we just ask that you would minister to us right now, Lord God. You would speak your truth, Father. You would speak your truth to us, Lord. I'm just going to wait on him for a minute. Let's not rush past this. Just engage with God where you are. Bring your heart before him. Lord. Thank you that we are safe with you, Lord God. We just commit tonight, Lord God, to renew our covenant, to walk in your standard of holiness, Lord God, to be pure in our relationships, Lord Jesus, to honor you in everything that we do, Lord. That is the desire of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to encourage you that if this is a topic that is really relevant for you, we've got three more weeks of the sermon series talking about a lot of detail in this topic. So don't miss on those weeks. And if you need prayer in this area, we will be here to pray for you, right? Like I said, all of us, all of us have had to struggle with this. All of us have had to journey in this. So let's stand in faith together.